good morning, everybody. I hope you guys are doing well this morning. Um, as Mark said, my name is Joseph. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, um, and I have the awesome privilege of leading our Covington Living Community along with a couple other guys. Uh, it's so much fun, and, and again, as Mark said, I would really encourage you if you haven't um, had the opportunity of connecting with the living community around here yet. That's really a huge part of what this church is all about. And uh, I don't think you know this is Sunday mornings are important, but this isn't the full. Um, this isn't all of it. There's, there's a lot more to it. So I would really encourage you to uh, talk to somebody afterwards and get involved in a living community. Um, so today we're, we're going to continue in our series in um, the Gospel of Luke. Um, but before we kind of jump in, um, I just was reminded, this isn't something I do often speaking. So as I was studying everything, I was just kind of reminded that, you know, this book that we're about to jump into is, it's God's living word to us. This is the creator of the universe, our savior, talking to us through scripture. And more important than any song we sang, anything I'm going to say this morning are the words that we're going to read out of this book. So just, um, I would encourage you to remind yourself of that as well as we, as we go through this morning. Um, but let me pray for us as we open up. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you just for the opportunity to, to spend time together with a group of people who want to follow you, learning about you, God. Um, God, I pray this morning that we would, um, when we leave this place, that we would know you better than we did when we came in here, and that that whether it's in a, in a huge way or in a, in a small, what we would think is an insignificant way, God, that we would, uh, that we would somehow leave here changed and, and closer to you and knowing you more. God, I pray that you would, uh, you would speak through me, that nothing I say this morning um, would be of, of my own pride or my own, um, my own will, God, but that it would just be your words speaking through me. Uh, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So um, how many of you in your life have had an example, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a teacher, um, maybe even a parent that said a lot of things to you but didn't really live by them. Does, does anybody have that? Yeah, I think a lot of us have experienced that at some point. Um, I remember I had a boss one time um, back one of my first jobs that, I mean, this guy was awesome. He could make to-do lists with the best of them. Uh, he could give orders. He could uh, give us, uh, you know, projects, things to do, but he never really did them himself. I'll never forget one time... Um, there was a, it, I was a, a janitor, essentially, and there was a job that, um, you know, when things get messy sometimes, they should be cleaned pretty quickly, and um, he chose, rather than doing it himself when he was on shift, to put up a sign, and I won't go into the details of how gross this mess was, but he decided to put up an out-of-order sign on this room and leave it for me and his, his other workers to do about 48 hours later. Um, so that was really awesome to walk into at work. Um, but needless to say, that boss did not earn a lot of respect from us. Um, nice guy, you know, tell jokes with him and stuff, but didn't earn a lot of respect as a leader. Um, on the flip side, I have a couple of illustrations that I got from my father, who, if you guys don't know, is in the Air Force. They're military illustrations um, of good leaders. So one, for example, um, back in World War II, we have D-Day. The, the forces march on in Normandy. Um, and shortly after the beach is taken, there, you know, there's all these, if you've studied that at all, there's all these crossroads in between these big fields that, that all the, um, the jeeps and the tanks and everything had to do to move into, into France. And uh, General Patton, who was a three-star general at the time, one of the leading generals um, in, in the war, was seen out directing traffic in the mud. He's not sitting back in some nice jeep in the back of the line letting his, you know, his privates and everything do it. He's, he's out in the front standing in the mud, directing traffic, leading by example. Um, another example, kind of a military example from a movie. If you, any of you guys have seen the movie Fury with uh, Shia LaBeouf and Brad Pitt, um, I'm about to spoil the ending if you haven't, so I'm sorry. 
But um, toward the end of that movie, uh, basically their, their, their last assignment that you see in the movie, they're, they're a tank battalion. And they're sent out to basically defend this crossroads from Nazi forces that are coming toward the American forces. And they're, they're on their way there. They're almost there. And their tank breaks down. And it's, it's not repairable. They're out by themselves. I think there's five or six guys in this tank. And Brad Pitt plays the tank commander. And um, basically what, ha what has happened over the course of this movie is you've seen him lead by example. He's, he's in the thick of the fight with his men. He's putting his life on the line just as much as anybody else. And so they get to this point, and basically their, their tank's stuck, so they can't move. And it's, it's essentially a suicide mission because they've got this huge um, amount of Nazi forces marching toward them. And Brad Pitt basically tells his men, listen, you guys run. Go hide in the bushes. I'm going to stay here with the tank and you know, defend and hold these guys off as long as I can so hopefully our troops can get through. And because he's earned this respect from his troops, they say, no, we're staying with you. He led by example. And the cool thing, the reason I say that is because what we're going to jump into um, in, in Luke today is a, a, a situation where Jesus says something. We're going to look at two passages. In the first passage, Jesus says something. He's talking to his disciples. Um, we hear this in other Gospels. He says this to, to other groups of people as well. But he gives these commands that that I think sometimes we might read over, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but they're actually pretty extraordinary commands. And then, just a chapter later, we see him live that out um, very, very directly. So, um, I think it's cool in Colossians 1, the Bible says that Jesus became nothing, took on the form of a servant. And this is how he leads us. He, he sets this example of taking on the form of a servant, of lowering himself from his God status, and then just says to us, follow me. Uh, so, so, Jesus is the perfect, per the perfect example of leading by example. Uh, if you will. So um, before we jump into the passage, I just, for those of you who haven't maybe been with us through this series, just review a little bit um, why we're in the series of Luke, why we've called this series that you may know Jesus. So Luke, uh, Luke is a guy who, he's, this is one of the gospels. Um, he's experienced Jesus. He studied Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. And he's writing a letter. The book of Luke is actually a letter to another guy named Theophilus. Now we don't know a lot about Theophilus. A lot of scholars believe that he was some sort of high-ranking um, government official. But we do know that he wanted to know more about Jesus. And so Luke writes this letter to Theophilus so that Theophilus can know more about who Jesus is. And so we've titled the series That You May Know Jesus because we're trying to read this letter like Theophilus did. We're looking at this letter as a description of who Jesus is. Luke is a very, he takes a very, I guess, um, factual kind of analytical approach to Jesus and is presenting this argument to Theophilus of who Jesus is. And we want to look at that the same way. So as we jump into this first passage, I would encourage you, um, through everything that we read from Scripture this morning, be thinking, okay, what does this teach me about Jesus? That's what Theophilus, that's how he would have read this. What, what do I want to know about Jesus from this? So um, I would encourage you to do the same. So um, we're going to jump into Luke 6. If you guys would like to follow along, we'll have the, the passages up here on the screen as well. But we're going to start off in uh, Luke 6, 27 through 36, which says this. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Luke says this, um, or actually this is Jesus talking here. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit does that give you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. 
and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So, um, kind of this first part here, right at the end of this passage that we have of leading by example, is he's saying, look, God is merciful, you do the same. And that's what this whole passage is about. But we look at this, and I think these are verses that we hear often. If, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this passage hundreds of times. Um, we also see this passage in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, where um, we don't know exactly if this is the same instance or if this is Jesus talking to his disciples at a different time. But um, he says basically the same thing to a, a large group of people in the Sermon on the Mount. And we might read past this because we're so familiar with it, but we, don't have, we also don't have enemies like the disciples had. Um, you know, if you look forward into, into the history of the church, many of the disciples were killed for their faith. Um, they, even in this time, they had people persecuting them. You know, they were not loved by a lot, of, a lot of different people. And so they had very real enemies. But we have enemies too, right? Sometimes our enemies are our bosses or people at work who are, you know, not acting in a, a nice way that's, that's helping us. Or they're maybe they're, um, maybe they're friends who are, who are unkind or acquaintances who are dragging us down. We all have enemies. Maybe our enemies, you know, maybe in a very real way, your enemy is yourself. And you feel yourself, you know, holding yourself back. Um, but I think what these verses are talking about, you know, the disciples would, would read this one way, but again, this is God's word for us as well. And I think even while we may not have these physical enemies, we're not, you know, in, in many ways being persecuted for our faith right now. Um, what these verses speak to, I think, is retaliation in a lot of ways. And it's saying, you know, especially in this time in the, in the Old Testament, they lived in a very law-based society where you did something wrong, there was a direct punishment for that. Um, some cultures today still have that. You know, you steal something, your hand gets chopped off. And it's this very, um, you do this, this happens, you do this, this happens, and there's no sense of grace or mercy. And Jesus is introducing this idea of loving your enemies, and it's no longer about, oh, you did something wrong to me, here's your punishment, or you did something wrong to me, I'm going to get you back, but rather, love your enemies. Um, if we can throw up the next slide, I want to talk about something. I wish that I could say that I came up with this, but I didn't. Uh, I heard it somewhere else, but... Um, I think it's important when we talk about loving your enemies and what we're going to get into for the rest of this morning that we really understand what this love means. Because I don't think um, this love is a completely, like, passive thing that you're just, oh, it's okay, you know, you're, you're doing wrong, but it's okay, I still love you, I still love you, I still love you. I don't think it's that kind of um, overly passive thing. I also don't think, um, you know, I think it's, it's kind of funny to look at this turn the other cheek thing and think, you know, I'm walking down the street, somebody comes up to me and slaps me and says, give me your wallet, and I just go, I'm a Christian, hit the other one too. Like, it's not this, it's not this literal thing, but it's talking about retaliation and how we live in our relationships. And um, what I heard in, in this, uh, it, we're calling this like a value hierarchy, and, and it's what culture in today's world values, and then what the church should value, or what biblical culture should teach us to value. So in culture today, it kind of goes in this order. We value our freedom um, we shouldn't, but culture today values freedom above everything else. I think it's very easy to see this. I've, you know, you see this in what's right for me is what's right for me. Don't tell me what to do. You know, if I want, if I'm a man and want to become a woman, that's okay. That's my freedom. I'm allowed to do that. If I want to abort a child, I'm allowed to do that. That's my freedom. These are extreme examples, but we see this in, in everyday life as well. You know, we, we feel that we have the right when we're stuck in traffic, that, that we're somehow being wronged by the people in front of us, or, when we go to the store and, you know, something's listed at one price, but then they charge us a different price, we're somehow being wrong. And it's this personal thing. We have our freedom. We have our right. And that's what we value above everything else. And then so um, basically to sum that up, freedom is me doing whatever I want whenever I want to do it. And then we, in culture today, use freedom to define love. And we say love is when you help me do whatever I want whenever I want. And then truth comes as this, like, messy 
undefined thing as a result of those first two, that what I want to do when I want to do it and how you love me doing it, that's my truth, but what you want to do and what you want to do may be different, so your truth is different from your truth, and it just becomes this messy, not real thing. So then we, if we can go to the next slide, we look at church culture and how the Bible teaches that we should define these things, and, and truth comes before all, and this is truth. Scripture teaches us truth about all these things. And then love is defined by truth. Love is pointing people to that truth. And then freedom, um, actually, if we can look at um, Galatians, I don't think this, is, this may be on the screen, I'm not sure, but Galatians 5, 13 through 14 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh, but through love to serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So our freedom comes when we are pointed by love to the truth. Freedom is found in truth rather than freedom defining truth. Um, And so I read at the end of that passage in Galatians, it says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That sounds kind of eerily similar to what we read in, uh, back in Luke 6 and verse 31, and it says, and as you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Um, the reality is often that our neighbors are our enemies. Um, the people that you, you know, you, we don't often think of enemies. We don't have some guy on the other side of the world that we look at as our, our real enemy. It's usually the people that we're spending our days with. It's usually, you know, the, the enemies that we see in our life are the people that are around us, uh, the people that aren't necessarily going toward the same mission that we are. And uh, so we see this kind of the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself, and that applies to loving our enemies as well. Um, so we have Jesus giving these commands, right, in Luke 6. And these are very, again, I, ho- I hope that we've understood that these are very extraordinary commands. It's not, again, this love your neighbor, okay, I'm going to be nice to people even when they aren't nice to me. It's so much more than that, and especially to the disciples it would have been. Um, so for the rest of this morning, we're going to spend um, in just one chapter over in Luke 7. And so between, so Jesus finishes this, message that he's talking to the disciples in Luke 6. And then he, um, he goes to a few different towns. He performs a couple of miracles. And then um, we find him in Luke 7. We're going to look at verses 36 through 50 and the specific story of where Jesus then very, very clearly models this principle for us. And uh, so starting in verse 36, again, we're going to read the whole passage and then we'll talk about it. It says, um, this is Luke writing, and it says, one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited them saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who, he would have known what sort of this woman, oh my goodness, if I could read, that would be great. Uh, If this man were a prophet, He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman... He said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. 
But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were with him at table began to say among themselves, who is this that he even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So we look at this story, and um, first, we, first we have this Pharisee who's inviting Jesus over for dinner. And what do we know about the Pharisees? We know the Pharisees were the, the religious people of the day. They were very legalistic. Um, they, they lived very strictly by the law. I think we've, we've talked here before about how um, the Pharisees, you know, there was this law that God gave. And then the Pharisees, or the, the Jews at the time, the, the leaders that these Pharisees have come from, added on all these other laws to help them keep the law that ended up just binding them and, and dragging them down. And so they live very much like if we look back at that Luke 6 passage where it talks about, you know, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? That's the, the type of life these Pharisees live. They're like, well, you love me, I'll love you. You know, you do the right thing, then you're okay. But if you do the wrong thing, you're out of line. That's the life that these Pharisees lived. Um, they were also the ones that, that very much built themselves up for their, their supposed faith. They were out on the street corners praying. Um, they, were, they were dressing in fine clothes and everything. So... Um, this is the Pharisee that, that we're talking about. This is the type of person we're talking about. And he has Jesus over to his house. He invites Jesus over. They sit down for dinner. And I don't know about you, but I kind of picture this Pharisee. You know, you walk into his house, and, and everything's perfect. He's got, you know, the fine chinas out on the table for dinner. He's got worship music playing over the house stereo system. He's got the big scroll laid out on the coffee table. Just because he, he wants Jesus to know, hey, I'm a Pharisee. I've done it right. I'm doing everything right. And um, so, you know, they get down to dinner. He prays for about 30 minutes, and it's one of those. I know we've all been there where it's like, man, I love that you like talking to Jesus, but the food's getting cold. And, and this is just how I, maybe, I may be reading into this too much, but that's how I kind of picture this Pharisee. So um, they get through the prayer, and then kind of this unthinkable thing happens. He's, you know, they're at this nice dinner. They're talking. It's, it's very um, cordial and very um, respectable. And then this woman walks in. Um, she's sobbing. She's a mess. You can tell she's troubled. She, she walks right up to Jesus. She doesn't say a word. She walks up to Jesus, and she's sobbing. Um, she gets down. She, she's washing his, um, his feet with her tears and her hair. She's anointing him with oil right in front of this Pharisee and his friends who no doubt are like, what, you know, this is our dinner party. What are you doing here? Why are you here? And she's just, she's just going for it. She doesn't care. Um, we don't know a lot about this woman. We don't know what she looked like. We don't know what her occupation was. We don't know anything about her family. Um, there's only one thing that we're told about her, and that's that she's a sinner. Um, now, I think we can, we can read past that very quickly because we're like, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner too. Um, but I think we need to pause here for a second and really look at what, what that means to us, that, that she's described as a sinner. Um, throughout the Bible, we're given a lot of characteristics about people. Samson's strong. Bathsheba's beautiful. Uh, Solomon is wise and rich. John the Baptist is weird. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we, you know, we have these descriptions. It's not like the Bible doesn't describe people, but, but the one description that we're given of this woman is that she's a sinner. Now, everyone in this room, if I asked you, have you ever sinned, we'd probably, I think we're all on the same page that we would say, yeah, I've sinned. But I don't think that when you go to a dinner party and meet somebody new, you don't walk up and say, you know, hey, I'm Joseph. And Grant says, hey, I'm Grant. What do you do? Well, I normally answer, you know, like, oh, I work in, in marketing at this company called Kona Ice. Not, oh, hey, I'm a sinner. That's not how I introduce myself. I don't think that's how you introduce yourself either. That's not a characteristic that we want to be described by. That's not how we want to be known. But that's what we know about this woman, that she's a sinner. Um, that's all we know. She, she had a past. There were things that she was doing. We don't know what they were, but people knew. This Pharisee knew. It, it later we'll see, or later down in the passage, it talks about that his, the other people in the, in the room that were with him, his friends, knew this woman as sinner. Um, she had a reputation about her. We'll say that. And uh, it's interesting. Romans 5.10 says this. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So look at the first few words of that, that verse. It says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled. So basically this verse is saying that before we have salvation, before we have Jesus as part of our life, we are enemies of God. Um, so this woman, think back to Luke 6 for a second, love your enemies. This woman without Jesus is Jesus' enemy. She, by her sin, is an enemy of God. And so back to the story. Um, Jesus is at the table. The Pharisees and his friends are there. Um, this woman comes in. She's down. She doesn't introduce herself. She's, she's down on her feet crying um, at Jesus' feet. She's anointing him. And um, you can tell her heart's troubled. She's in pain. Uh, she's very aware in the presence of Jesus who she is. She, you know, I don't think this woman walked around every day sobbing constantly. But when she walked into the presence of Jesus, she had this sense of who she was and who he was. Um, so she comes in. She pours this oil on his feet. If you aren't familiar with anointing, this was something especially common in that time. That was It had a couple of different purposes, but one of them was like to show honor and respect. Um, so to, for her to anoint Jesus is basically her humbling herself before him. Um, so this is a strange situation, right? Like, you guys have probably all been to a dinner party or hosted a dinner party, and I doubt you've ever had someone come into someone at your dinner party, not say a word to you, even though you're the one hosting it, start crying and pouring oil on one of the people at the party. Has anybody had that happen? No? Okay. Um, so this is, and, and no doubt these Pharisees, especially what we know about them, probably a little bit offended. Like, why, why are you here? What are you doing in my house? I didn't invite you. She doesn't care. She didn't ask for permission to come in the room. Um, but one of the things I love about this passage, so you have, you have this happening, and then the Pharisee starts questioning Jesus in, in his mind. He's saying, you know, well, if, if this guy is really a prophet, if he's, if he's really of God, he would know who this woman is. And, and he basically says, you know, he would know that she's a sinner, and he wouldn't let her touch him. And then I love this. If you look back at, uh, at verse 40, it says, um, or at, at verse 39, I guess, it says, and the, um, the Pharisee said this to himself. He thought this. And then Jesus answered him. So how would you like it if you're, you know, let's say you're in this room right now, and Mark just stands up and says, Micah, I know what you were thinking, and I'm going to answer it. Probably not the most comfortable situation for this Pharisee, because, uh, you know, what he's thinking, he's doubting Jesus. And then Jesus is like, hey, I have an answer for that. Um, and his answer is a parable. And so um, basically what Jesus says in this parable is that there were two men. Um, both were in debt to, to the same man, one 500 uh, denarii and 150. And so a single denarius was basically a day's wage. So especially this first guy, he's in some serious debt. You know, if we look at today's world, he's in fifty, sixty thousand dollars of debt to this person. And and neither of these guys can repay it. And the, the debtor, the person who they're in debt to, forgives them their debt. He says, you know what? It's okay. Go. You know, I'm, I'm going to cover it. Don't worry about it. You're free to go. And in this culture, in this time, um, when you were in debt to someone, you essentially, if you couldn't pay it back, you kind of became their slave. Um, you You weren't free to live your life. Like now, you know, we have credit cards and stuff, and it's like, oh, I'll pay a little bit here, a little bit there. That's not really how it worked then. So to be forgiven of this debt is a huge thing. And um, so, so Jesus asked the Pharisee, well, who's going to love that, that debtor more, the person who was forgiven the 500 the, the $50,000, or the person who was given, forgiven the fifty? You know, that's a, that's a couple paychecks, not, not near as much. And, and the Pharisee answers, well, probably the guy that was forgiven more debt. And Real quick, I want to pause here um, before we move on and kind of just contrast how, how the Pharisee and this, other, this sinful woman are responding to Jesus. You have, 
you know, from the beginning of the story, you have this Pharisee who's very casual before Jesus. You know, he's like, Jesus, come over. We'll hang out. We'll have dinner. You know, let's sit down at my table and, and let's talk because I think I have some things to say to you and you have some things to say to me. Um, he's, he's very casual before Jesus. And I think um, the, the woman here is not at all. She, she comes in completely humbled, um, completely aware of who Jesus is. And I think if the Pharisee was aware of who Jesus was, he wouldn't maybe have um, been so casual about this, this, this happy dinner party. But as we move on through the story, um, we see, so this Pharisee, he's questioning God, and, and Jesus answers him with this parable. And so follow me here. We're going to um, kind of get into the, the application of all this and how it all ties together. So Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and that we all fall short of the glory of God. So shouldn't we find ourselves in the shoes of this woman, not necessarily in, in the shoes of the Pharisee? You know, I don't, I don't think we should find ourselves casually inviting Jesus into our life when we feel like it for a dinner party and discussion. Um, Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned, we all fall short of God's glory, and that, that puts us in the shoes of that woman, humbled at Jesus' feet. Um, outside of Jesus, like we read earlier, we're characterized as a sinner. Um, in 1 Samuel, it says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So if I have a heart that's, that's not with Jesus, I'm Joseph Dickens' sinner, not Joseph Dickens' marketing, not Mark Jones' living church pastor. Outside of God, we are name sinner. That's how God sees us. Um, so again, I'd ask you, how do you find yourself responding to that? Are you responding as this, this peer of Jesus that you're inviting him in to hang out? Are you responding, are you responding as someone humbled? Um, before God recognizing your place and his place like this woman was. But there's good news in the story. Um, this woman comes humbly before Jesus, down at his feet, crying, fully aware of who she is, fully aware of her sins, fully aware of her past. And Jesus uses this opportunity um, first to teach this Pharisee a little bit about who he is, but then also to look at this woman and say, um, your sins are forgiven. And that's when, when she comes humbled before God, that's the response she gets. And we have the advantage of, of looking ahead and seeing how that story ends. This woman didn't know how Jesus was going to respond when she walked into that room. She had no idea, but she knew that she had to go. And there, there's one more verse at the end of this passage um, that we read that I'm really excited that I get to teach about this morning because it's, it's something I'm really passionate about. Um, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's cool how this passage ends. I honestly think this is some of the best news that we're given in Scripture, this side of, of eternal life. And um, we have to realize that, that as this woman walks in, um, like, like we talked about earlier, love for enemies is not acceptance of their, their wrongdoing, um, but love of enemies, I think, is acceptance of them despite their wrongdoing. And Jesus really, you know, the, yeah, these, this Pharisee, his friends are very judgmental, toward this woman, they're very, um, they, they let it show how they disapprove of what she does, but really Jesus is the least tolerable person at all, of all of them, of her sin. Um, Jesus cannot, by his very character, cannot tolerate sin, but yet she's the one that he goes, or he's the one that she goes to, um, even though this Pharisee's showing judgmental looks, you know, I'm sure she heard as she was walking down the street, she heard side comments, people walking the other way because they didn't want to be around her because she's characterized by her sin. Yet Jesus is really the most intolerable of all of her actions. So at the end of this passage, the very last thing that Jesus says to this woman, uh, he looks at her and he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can you imagine that? This woman comes in. She is 
troubled to the depths of her soul. She's sobbing so much that Jesus' feet are wet with her tears and she's having to wipe them off. I mean, you can tell nothing about this woman has peace. She's fully aware of who she is. She's fully aware of her sin. She's fully aware of her past and how that separated her from this man, Jesus. And he just looks at her. She hasn't said a word. All she's done in is come in and, and humble herself at his feet. And he just looks at her and says, go in peace. Those three words had to radically transform her life. She goes from this state of sobbing and weeping and, and you know, what, what seems almost uncontrollably. And then the person that she came to, the person that can't tolerate her sin by his very character, just looks at her and says, you're forgiven. Go in peace. It's kind of like saying, get out of here. You're okay. It's fine. I've got you covered. Um, I think we, we see this, this sentiment of Jesus of, of loving enemies in this way several other places in Scripture and even from other people. Um, in John 4, we, we read about Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman at a well, and there's a couple things that I think are, I'm sure you guys have all heard that story, but that I think are very interesting about that story. First of all, um, Jesus was a Jew. She was a Samaritan, and, and they weren't supposed to like each other. So the fact that, that Jesus takes the initiative to engage in conversation with this woman and go outside of his comfort zone and do something that, that wouldn't be accepted by his peers, um, that's a sign of love. Then he, uh, as I've said several times, he doesn't accept her sin. Um, he, he tells her, basically, he's, he's telling her who he is, and he says, go get your husband and, and bring him back here. And she says, well, actually, um, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, you've had three of them, and the person you're living with now isn't your husband. So he calls her out on her sin, and he definitely makes it clear that he doesn't approve of it. But he still reveals himself to her, and he still gives her this opportunity for forgiveness. Again, um, in, uh, where is it? in John 8, we see this passage where the Pharisees, um, these same guys, bring a woman before Jesus, and they say, this woman committed adultery, um, and the law says that we should stone her, so let's do it. And again, Jesus uses this as a teaching opportunity, which I think, as a little side note, it's really cool about this. Jesus shows, he's, he's hard on the Pharisees all throughout scripture, but he shows love to them. He doesn't condemn them. He calls them out for their, their wrong thoughts and their wrong beliefs, but he doesn't condemn them. Um, he gives them the exact same opportunity that, that he gives the, the sinners in these passages. And um, so, so this woman's brought before Jesus who's been accused of adultery, and, and Jesus, instead of, he's really the only one, he's sinless, he's the only one who really has the right to condemn her. And he looks back at the Pharisees and says, hey, if any of you guys haven't sinned, go ahead, stone her. If any of you guys aren't deserving of punishment, go ahead. And this kind of stuns the Pharisees. They don't, they don't like it. And um, at the end of that passage, Jesus looks at the woman and he says, where'd they all go? Like, all your accusers are gone. It's just me and you here now. And he ends that passage by saying to her, um, go and leave your life of sin. Again, he loves her. He has the right to condemn her. He has the right to throw the first stone there. But he instead shows her forgiveness and shows her love by calling her out of this life of sin to him. We see this in, in the life of Stephen. We talked about in that first passage, praying for your enemies. Um, the very last thing that Stephen, with the martyr in, in the book of Acts, the very last thing that he's recorded saying as he's being stoned before he dies is he says, Father, don't hold the, the sins of these people against them. We see it in the early church with Paul. Um, I mean, Paul is, is kind of the, the biggest enemy that, that Christians have known, uh, or at least as, as far as what's recorded. And when he's transformed by the life of Christ, the church welcomes him in as one of their greatest leaders. Uh, it's, it's really astounding, like, the fact that, that they see... I didn't know if I was going to say this, but I'm going to. Um, 
I guess it was probably six months ago, kind of in the height of all the, the ISIS stuff that was going on over in the Middle East. Uh, maybe it was longer than that. But when you, know, you had this, this same guy who was brought on the camera for all of their videos and everything that was talking to the camera, I'll never forget, um, I had some strong opinions about him. And I was talking to my roommate, Joe, who a lot of you guys know, or roommate at the time. And Joe just looked at me and said something that was really convicting to me. He's like, dude, that guy's a modern-day Paul before Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen if that guy found Christ? That's not how I was thinking about that guy. And that was extremely convicting to me. But we see, so we see that in Paul. Can you imagine if that guy that we saw on all these ISIS videos came to know the Lord? Would we as a church welcome him in as a leader? Would we bring him up here and say, hey, talk to us? You know, you were, I know you were beheading Christians a few months ago, but tell us about what you've learned. Um, that, that's this forgiveness and this love that we, we don't accept sin. We don't love what, what these people are doing now. But, but at the same time, they're offered this forgiveness and this peace. And um, in Romans 5.1, Paul's writing, actually, ironically, and he says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's bring this full circle. We're talking about loving our enemies, and we're talking about peace with God. Um, in, in Luke 6, we see Jesus commanding his disciples to, to love their enemies. And then we see in Luke 7, we see Jesus doing that very thing, and it results in peace for this woman. This woman is an enemy of God. She's characterized as a sinner. And as we saw, sin makes us enemies of God. But, then it, but Jesus loves her, and she leaves with peace. So um, this peace allows us the freedom to love our enemies. When we receive this peace from God, if we lived in a world that was all law, that was all, um, you know, you, you do an action, you have a result. You do something wrong, there's punishment. You do something wrong, there's punishment. You do something wrong, there's punishment. That leaves us no opportunity to love our enemies. If, if someone does something wrong to me and I live in that world, my natural and my right response is to, get them back in whatever way is, is considered right, you know, whether it's legal punishment, whether it's a fight and they hit me, I hit them. Um, my, my duty in that world is to, to hit them back, to, to punish them, whatever um, the situation calls for. But this peace that we have in God, the fact that, that we're not um, ultimately defined by our, our place in this life allows us the opportunity to love our enemies. Um, a great story that I heard um, in a message recently uh, Pope John Paul II was, uh, there was an attempted assassination on him and he was shot. And the, the person who attempted to kill him, um, as John Paul was healing, he saw these scars on his arm and he went to the government of Italy and had this guy pardoned and deported back to Turkey, um, where he was from. And he said, when, you know, when people were, of course, asking him, this guy tried to kill you. Why are you, why are you getting him pardoned? He said, because when I look at my scars, I don't want to realize that I could have forgiven someone, but I chose to keep them in, in captivity. Um, I think that's so powerful. I'm not saying that, that that's necessarily the right response every time someone commits a crime, but it definitely is a show that, that forgiveness and leads to freedom on both sides of the equation. Um, so as we, as we wrap up today, I want to look at, at one more verse here. It's John 16.33, uh, where Jesus says, I have told you all, that, all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. Life isn't easy, and it's not supposed to be. Followers of Jesus aren't guaranteed any sort of free pass. We're not guaranteed um, prosperity or success in this life. But we have a greater Lord and a greater promise than anything that this life can offer. And in John 16, um, Jesus says that we can take heart and that we can have peace because he's already overcome anything that we've done, anything that we faced, anything that we're going to do, anything that we're going to face. He's already done it. 
It's over. It's finished. And this peace then allows us the freedom to love our enemies. And by loving our enemies, we have peace. Um, it's, it's kind of this full circle thing. And um, how often are we praying that our enemies will receive the same peace that we can have in Jesus? Or are we trying to accuse them? Are we trying to bring them down? So, um, so maybe you find yourself here today and you're, you're troubled because of your past. Your, your past sins, your past failures, your past mistakes are holding you back. Um, I would encourage you that Jesus says, take heart. He can forgive those. He can wash your past. Um, as scripture says, whiter than snow. It's gone. In his, in his eyes, it's done. That's not saying it's going to be easy to come into the presence of Jesus and admit who you are. It's not easy. Um, it's not easy. You know, we all live in sinful bodies, and we all go on sinning even with Jesus. And, and it's not easy to come before God. It shouldn't be easy to come before a perfect God and say, listen, I messed up. I need your forgiveness. But we have the benefit of reading the end of, the, of these stories and seeing that that result is go in peace. Um, maybe you find yourself troubled because of your current circumstances. Maybe you, you've lost a job. Maybe you're having financial trouble. Uh, maybe, maybe you're sick or a loved one is sick. Um, take heart. The Bible says that when we cast our cares on Jesus, he carries them so that we don't have to. Maybe you find yourself stressed out because of something coming up at work or at school. Um, again, take heart. The Bible says that we need to worry about today and we need to live for today. Tomorrow has enough cares of its own. Um, I would encourage you, I would encourage myself, like, uh, like Mark always says, I'm, I'm preaching to myself just as much as anybody else, but um, follow the example of this woman. Come humbly before Jesus. It's not going to be easy. It may hurt to come before Jesus. It may sting to look at yourself in light of who he is, but look at how the story ends. You go in peace. You come before him humbled about who you are, and you leave in peace, and then that allows us, allows us this incredible freedom to lay down grudges, to lay down hate, and to love our enemies. Um, it releases you from the bondage that, that's in this tit-for-tat life, um, that, that's this bondage that's in judgment and this bondage that's in, in hate, and it allows you to love your enemies and have that peace that Jesus offers to this woman. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, thank you for today. God, thank you for the opportunity again just to be in your house, and thank you for the peace that you offer to each one of us, God. Thank you for um, the men that recorded your word so that we can learn from it, God, and so that we can see just as this woman did in Luke chapter 7, as she came before you, she humbled herself, God. She was fully aware of, of her sins, God, and she laid those down at your feet. And then we can see, God, that when we do that, you say to us, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And we can know how the story ends, God. I pray this morning that if anyone in this room doesn't have this peace, God, if they, if they don't know you, first of all, God, I pray um, that you would move in their hearts right now and that you would draw them to yourself, that, that you would allow them to experience this peace that comes from knowing you, God. And I pray that if there's anyone in this room, God, who's, who's being held down by, by grudges or hate or, or enemies, God, that you would allow them the freedom in you and the peace in you to love those enemies, God, so that they can be released of that and that they can focus on living their life with you. Thank you so much for your love, God. Thank you just for the privilege it is to be part of, part of your church. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.